It is a matter of staying very focused to make sure that I'm getting what the team wants, what I want, what the athletes want, and also making sure it's in focus, I've got good backgrounds, the lighting's right, my shutter speed's right. Clearly there's a lot to consider when you're responsible for capturing images of Team USA athletes at the Olympic Games. I'm Elizabeth Pearson-Gar, and this is the Experience Podcast. On this episode, we get to experience the Olympics through the lens of Jeff Cable, who has photographed the past seven Olympic Games for the U.S. Olympic Committee, and he's getting ready to head to Beijing for the upcoming 2022 Winter Games. Jeff is the official team photographer for the men's and women's water polo and ice hockey teams, and as you'll hear, he gets to spend the rest of the games taking photos of whatever events interest him. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. It's nice to be here. I am uh, really excited to talk to you because you have such a fascinating job. On the one hand, it sounds like a dream job because you have a front row seat to the Olympics, something that I feel like all of us would love to have. But it is hard work. What you do is is probably really grueling. It is. It's a combination of the excitement of being there and have done seven Olympics. And I mean, the first one, obviously, it was amazing. And the second one was like incredible. And it, it becomes more work over time. But still, it's a combination of excitement, but also knowing and planning and prepping for three weeks of just full on, no rest, go, go, go. How far in advance are you starting to prepare say, for the winter 2022 Olympics, are you already getting ready for that? Do they send you a schedule? Obviously, you cannot shoot every sport, every event. Well, pre-COVID, a typical planning process would start about two years in advance. It's a long process. The credentialing process is the first part. So will I get credentialed? Which, you know, I've done so much for Team USA now that that is no longer really a question, which is a, a huge luxury. Because, you know, any photographer would love to shoot the Olympics. So there's very few credentials. I'm lucky that that is now kind of a given as opposed to a question. That's the first part. And then part of the credentialing is security clearances and all that kind of stuff. And that happens really, really far in advance. But then typical Olympics, the next part of that process is trying to figure out, well, there's the contract with the team that I'm shooting for. And then there's the things like housing, airfare, uh, logistics, and that kind of thing. In normal times, there's a lot of planning that goes in. I mean, my first Olympics, I didn't sleep for like six months because I was so nervous about, you know, knowing what to do. And there's a lot of logistics that when you get to the Olympics as a first timer, you don't know what to expect. So you think you're just going to go to opening ceremonies and you find out, even though you have an all access pass, that doesn't get you to opening or closing ceremonies. It doesn't get you to any high impact event. In the days when Michael Phelps was swimming, Every photographer wanted to be there, so they can't allow that. So you have to be specially ticketed for that. Until you know all the protocol, it's it's a bit daunting. I've done so many now. I know, like the minute I got to Tokyo, I got to my hotel, went to sleep, and the next morning I got up, went straight to the press center, and started getting my photography bib. You have to have the vest, getting lockers, checking in with all the right people to make sure that I had the right things that I needed for internet access. And then someone straight to the water polo venue to get a locker there, to talk to the venue manager, like all the things that I knew that I had to get in place. But if you've never done it or you've only done one, you're thrown in the deep end and it's a bit scary. So all access does not mean all access. 
It really does. I mean, all access means, and I'm lucky to have that credential. There's different levels of credentials, but yes, I have full access other than the Olympic Village. Um, we're not allowed to go into their living space under normal times, not during COVID. There is a tour that goes in where you could tour the Olympic Village. I've never done it. I don't have time for it. But yes, it means I can go to any venue, any sport and shoot whatever I want, which is pretty cool. But obviously you don't have time to do that either. I mean, so are you given a schedule by the U.S. Olympic Committee? Say you're going to do these water polo games and these gymnastic events and that sort of thing. Or do you just decide what you want to shoot? Yeah, so I'm the I think I'm the only independent photographer for Team USA, which is a huge luxury. It means that I can determine my own schedule. So what I do is I shoot for USA water polo in the summer. So Summer Olympics, I shoot for men's and women's team every game. Those are about an hour and 20 minutes for a game. And then you've got time for me to get there, prepare before the game starts and also to get images to them as soon as the game's over. So it's about a three and a half hour window. And the rest of the time, I can go do whatever I want. So once I'm done shooting water polo or if water polo is in the evening, I can go somewhere in the morning and go shoot. And then winter Olympics, I shoot for USA Hockey as my primary team. So men's and women's ice hockey. So I'm, again, I'm there for all those, but then any other free time, I can just wake up in the morning and say, gee, the game's not till 7 p.m. I think today I'm gonna go shoot sailing or weightlifting and go do that. And I love that because I'm such an ADD person. I don't wanna shoot just hockey as much as I love hockey or water polo. I wanna go shoot other things that are really fun and interesting and, and a challenge. So let's say you get to the pool or to the rink. Are you supposed to go to a specific spot or do you have free reign of the whole arena? Like, can you can you shoot from any angle you want to? No, no, no. I mean, very much the opposite of that. At the Olympics, it is very regimented for a lot of reasons. They don't, I mean, obviously COVID, they don't want us getting too close to the athletes. Of course, as their photographer, I tend to get closer than most. But yeah, they've got very specific places to stand because it's all about television. And the last thing they want is someone being in front of a camera that's not supposed to be there. So even in Tokyo, where there's no one in the stands, right? There were no spectators. We still oh, yeah. were limited. We weren't allowed in most places, which is very strange because it was wide open, but they didn't want us roaming around in the background of a TV shot. But even in typical Olympics, it's very strict. So for instance, for ice hockey, there's only a certain amount of seats on the glass down at the rink level. And you have to put in for those. Again, as a team photographer, that's pretty much guaranteed for me. But then I get to the rink early because they don't put holes in the glass. Like when we shoot an NHL game, so I'm here in the Bay Area and I'll shoot for the San Jose Sharks, I can shoot through a hole. At the Olympics, there's no holes. You're shooting through plexiglass. So the first thing I'll do when I get to the rink is I'll go say, okay, which way are we shooting first? So I'll be, I want to be on the offensive side for two periods, defensive side for one period. And I walk around and try to find clean plexi. So I'll look and say, okay, position 56, 62 and 81 of clean plexi. Then I'll go back to the media room there and say, I want one of these three spots. Some venue managers will say fine. And some venue managers will say, sorry, we don't reserve spots. You're gonna have to wait to 10 minutes before the game and you get what you get. And that's a bit of a challenge. So it's making nice with the venue managers a lot. And like at water polo, I was there every day because I was shooting for the team and they alternate one day is men, one day is woman. They know me. Arnold, who is the venue manager, photo manager, he and I became friends and, and talked every day and, and we worked well together. There's something called OBS, which is Olympic Broadcast. And Olympic Broadcast System, they own the world. 
So every television feed that you see on NBC is coming from OBS and they sell that video to all countries. So there's no NBC cameras there because of course, can you imagine if you had a camera from every country? So at water polo, one of the OBS cameramen told me, as soon as the game starts, I move in about eight feet this way, you can stand in my spot, which is a great shooting position. So I went back and I talked to Arnold and said, does that work for you? He goes, yeah, if it's okay with them, it's okay with me. So every game, that was my spot. I kind of commandeered that spot. And so it is a matter of planning and treating people with respect and, and working the system. Good relationships. Big time. Yeah, but yeah. right? Isn't that true in any business? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So how many other photographers are there usually at an event? Or does it just depend? You know, it depends on the event. I mean, like water polo, if it's a prelim game, you may have six photographers there you know, gold medal game, then all of a sudden you have 50 photographers all vying for the same position. But you know, certain events when Hussein Bolt would run or Michael Phelps is in the pool, Katie Ledecky is in the pool, you're going to have 500 photographers or more all trying to get a shot. So like for swimming, uh, I remember, you know, shooting Phelps when he was in the heyday and every photographer wanted to be there. Well, Summer Olympics, you got 2,200 photographers. There's not space for 2,200. So they'll have four shooting positions. One will be at the dive-in position. So that's where you get them going in the pool. And you'll have one position on this side of the pool, which is midway along the pool to get pictures of them mid-stroke. You'll have another one at the other end of the pool where you're facing them so you can see the reaction if they win or lose. And there might be a high position from, you know, up where the spectators are sitting and that kind of thing. And that's it. And so... Everybody tried to be there. And even though you've got the full credentials, you still have to be ticketed to get into that event. So that's the kind of thing you would have looked at your schedule and you would have gone to the media center early that morning and said, I want to go to that Phelps 200 butterfly final and just right. hope that you were one of the first couple hundred. Well, or... it's not a hope thing and it's not a first come first serve. It's my organizing committee is the U.S. Olympic Committee. So I go to the USOC office and they've got a sign-in board for every high uh, demand event. And I'll say to them, I'd like to go to opening ceremonies. I know to do that right away. And so I'll go there and say, hey, I want to go to the men's butterfly at eight o'clock tonight. And I'll put my name on the list, or I used to put my name on the list and hope to get one. Now I'm, they'll pretty much hand me one. And so it is a, a pecking order. If I'm shooting for the team and I know them, I'm likely to get one. If I'm shooting for a small local newspaper, in Arizona that no one reads, you probably won't get one. It's just, it's, that's kind of the way it works. What are you looking for? I, I'm not a photographer. I'm just a point and shoot, but you know, I'm trying to look for composition. I'm trying to look for lighting or angles. Mm -hmm. and, but so much is happening in these sporting competitions. Things are moving there. And so I've looked at a lot of your photographs and they're incredible. Just walk me through it. Are you changing cameras that you're using and probably I do. shutter I, speeds? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in every event, people ask me all the time, like, what's, what's your setting? And I said, well, it depends what I'm shooting. If I'm shooting indoor versus outdoor, or I'm trying to shoot with a really fast shutter speed to, to freeze the action of a gymnast on the balance beam midair, then I'm shooting at a thousandth of a second. But a lot of times I push myself and try to create something different and more artistic, and then it's slowing the shutter speed way down. So instead of being a thousandth of a second, I shot equestrian for two and a half hours at 20th of a second, where I'm moving my lens at the exact same speed as the horse and rider trying to create some art. And so the advantage of shooting that way, well, if I'm not contractually obligated, if I'm contractually obligated to deliver images like for USA Water Polo in Tokyo, I'm not going to get too artistic because that's not what they want. And so 
at a water polo game, one is knowing the sport and anticipating what's going to happen. I usually, I want to be really low to the action. So I'm at the same level as the athletes. So even when I was on the pool deck in Tokyo, a lot of times I would get down on my knees and shoot low because now I'm in the faces of the athletes, which brings you in, into the sport and it makes it more personal. But it just changes at every place I am. Lighting at the Olympics is amazing because it's lit for television. So it's kind of cheating in a way. It's shooting at a local high school is much harder in some respects than shooting the Olympics. I've got great lighting. I get the best athletes in the world and I have really nice backgrounds. So. I had never thought that it was lit for television. I never thought that they even did a whole lighting setup, but of course they oh, do. Oh, it's, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars of testing and lighting to get it as good as possible. And so I'm able to shoot in many respects easier than I can here. Then the challenge is how do I come up with images different from the 2200 other people that are there? And so, you know, I use the best equipment. I am sponsored by Canon. I use, you know, Apple, the fastest laptops they've got, the fastest memory cards, because my deadlines, and this kind of blows people away, but my deadlines are 14 minutes. 14 in Beijing, minutes? Wait, yeah. so after the event, let's say it finishes at 8.32 p.m., mm -hmm. 14 minutes later, you're expected to deliver images? Yes. Yeah, so if I shoot like a typical water polo match with a new camera where I'm shooting sometimes at 30 frames a second, I may have 2,600 images at the end of the game. I have 14 minutes to go through those 2,600, find the best eight to 10 images, retouch them, resize them, and get them back to the team because of social media. Wow. When I first started shooting the Olympics years and years ago, it was a 24-hour deadline, then it went to 12-hour deadline, and then with social media, it went to two-hour deadline, and now... They want stuff immediately. If you look at something like for USA Hockey, the minute they're off the ice at the end of the first period, they want some images to push to social media, say, you know, US is up over Russia two to one, tune in for the second and third period. And they want some images to support that. So that's why that deadline is so tight. So in the it's middle crazy. of the game, are you having to go through your images in the middle of the game? Yes. Wow. So when I shoot, so water polo goes straight through. There is no logical break. So. I am shooting the whole way through water polo and then I run down to the press room and first thing I do is just open the laptop, jam my memory cards into the reader, download as fast as possible, start looking. And I've already got in my mind, ooh, I remember there was a great shot of the goaltender stopping one there. And again, the job of a photographer is to tell a story. So I kind of have that story in my mind. Like if it was a shutout, I better have a great shot of the goaltender stopping something. If one particular athlete scored five goals, I better have a great shot of that person scoring a goal. So I'm already thinking, what is the story I'm trying to tell? And what are the best images to, to support that? And so as I'm shooting, that's in my mind. And then when I get to the press room, I'll do that. On ice hockey, that 15 minute break between period one, period two, and period two, period three, I have my laptop sitting next to me on the ice. The ice actually goes underneath the rink under our feet, which is really cold, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so my, my laptop is sitting there with me. And the minute the buzzer goes, or if the play is at the other side of the rink, and I know there's only six seconds left, it's not going to come back my way. That buys me an extra six seconds. So I'll open my laptop and start the download process as fast as I can. And I will literally edit on my lap and then upload images from the rink. I never leave. And so really, I even have to go to the bathroom and plan that because I don't move for four hours. And so Talk you have to Talk about grace under pressure. I mean, you really have to stay focused. Yeah, I joke about taking drugs and I never have in my life, 
but I drink a lot of Diet Coke, and I say my brain has to be as fast as all the camera equipment, computer equipment, and everything else I'm using. The Olympics, we're working nine in the morning till two or three in the morning every day for three weeks. And so trying to keep your brain sharp is, is a challenge at times. But you can't drink that Diet Coke before the hockey game. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I try not to right before. Water polo is only an hour and a half match, and I can generally <laughs> make it work. But I, I've seen photographers. There are certain venues where we're not allowed to leave at all. Like speed skating, I remember in Vancouver, we walked through the athletes and what they called the flood zone, where the, the Zamboni came out. And they said, once you're in shooting position, you cannot leave. And there were guys that had to go, go to the bathroom and they were asking the fans, hey, are you done with your bottle of water or whatever and hiding in a corner? And like, <laughs> it, you know, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. You do what you need to do. <laughs> yep. So that's an amazing schedule, 9 a.m. to 2 or 3 a.m. to keep that up for sort of three weeks. How do you do that? I mean, is it just kind of adrenaline after a while and it's, it's just fun and exciting and you just keep going? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm very type A anyway, and so for me, it kind of works. But sure, it's still exciting. And the thing is, when you're there, especially with my situation where I'm contractually obligated to shoot some things, but then the rest is just for fun and building a portfolio, someday maybe a book. And I blog every day from the Olympics, and the blog is a big part of when I go there. It's a huge thing. So I was going out and shooting things that I thought would be interesting to the readers, as much as interesting to me. And then the problem is trying to pace yourself because I get done shooting water polo and all I think about is I need to get something to eat and I'd be eating and looking at the screens in the press room as I'm eating thinking, darn it, I should have been over at fencing to get a great shot of that. Or, you know, because they actually simulcast a lot of the video feed throughout the, uh, the restaurants and press rooms so you can see what's happening at other venues. And it's like, man, this is frustrating. I, something amazing is happening at boxing and I'm not there. I'm just <laughs> sitting here eating. I try not to eat for a long time. I usually slam food and get the heck out of there as fast as possible. And you really don't walk at the Olympics. I run almost everywhere. Just I'm always moving. And you're carrying all this heavy equipment or you mentioned there's lockers at certain venues. Yeah, I rarely use the lockers are more for keeping the laptop and stuff in between. Like when I'm up on the pool deck shooting, all my other gear is locked up that I'm not using. Yeah, I'm carting a lot of stuff with me. The good thing is, as opposed to the Olympics I shot years ago, I use rolling bags most of the time now just to save my back. But I'm still hoofing large lenses and big cameras. It does get heavy and awkward, especially at Winter Olympics, because you're also dressed in all those heavy garments and then you get on a press bus and it's 90 degrees. I don't know why they do that. So now you're trying to dump all your gear and shed off all this clothing. And half an hour later you get off and it's minus four outside and you're trying to get everything back on again. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's not sometimes. So you stay in a hotel and then you take press buses from venue to venue or how does that work? Yeah, typically um, we're either in a hotel or like in Pyeongchang when we were there in Korea, they had press housing buildings and all of us were in those. It depends on the city. In Japan, I was in a business hotel that was like, seriously, my room was like the size of my bathroom here at home. When I first walked in there, I was like, oh my gosh, like there was no closet. It was crazy. So you don't know what you're going to get. So you're getting up at whatever, eight in the morning after five or six hours of sleep and you get something quick to eat and then you hop a press bus and go to your venue and then you're just sort of off for the day and you have a little schedule that you know what you, the things you have to shoot. And then from there, you kind of just wing it about what looks interesting. Well, any hotel hosting Olympic media 
has to provide breakfast. So it's good because normally we can just go down and we get our free breakfast and then go. In Japan, every breakfast was fish. I'm allergic to fish. So oh, no. I got there and I said, um, I can't eat this. And they didn't understand. And I said, is it fish today? And he goes, oh, fish every day, fish every day. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. And so I got them to switch out and I had teriyaki chicken or hamburger every day for breakfast. It was very bizarre oh. um, and had to, and miso soup. And But um, it was still breakfast and I was okay with that. Got used to it. But normally we have a regular kind of Western breakfast where they'll have eggs and sausage or whatever. And the first day is like, oh, this is not bad. And by day 21, you're like the same thing. Um, I eat that. And then the press bus normally, it was not in Tokyo, but normally it's to the minute. So if the press bus says it'll be there at 8.38, it's there at 8.38 and out. So I'll leave at 8.36 from breakfast and run to the bus, hop on the bus, go to the main press center usually. And then all the other transportation spiders out from the main press center. So it's one bus from wherever I'm staying to the Olympic Park. And then I'll say, okay, now I got to get the bus from there to whatever venue I'm going to. And that could be anywhere from 10 minutes to two hours, depending on the venue. And you can't get there five minutes before it starts because you have to figure out where you're gonna shoot from, or it might be a pecking order where it's first come, first serve. So you try and get there early. And then I shoot the event. And then I either stay in the press room for a couple minutes, or I go right back to a press bus and I do all the work on the bus. So I'll break out the laptop and the reader and I'll download on the bus where I'm going back to the main press center to then take another bus to where I'm going next. And so figuring out the bus system can take sometimes days. You mentioned yeah. having to go through those, you know, maybe 2,600 shots in 14 minutes. I assume you don't just get rid of the others. Uh, do you ever go back and then say, oh, I really missed some good ones here. And then what do you do with some of the discarded ones? I keep uh, a lot of images. You know, when I'm shooting 2,600, there's a lot of those that are either not peak of action or I thought something amazing was going to happen and didn't. And so I've got stuff that just either doesn't tell a story or doesn't really mean anything. I also have some, yes, I'm not perfect. There's some that are out of focus or the ref got in your way and you got the back of a striped jersey instead of the athlete or whatever it might be. So there are lots of those and I will try to purge through and get rid of those. And again, that's done on a press bus or while I'm slamming dinner or it's done at two in the morning. And that's why even though I get back to the hotel at one in the morning, if I haven't purged those images, I need to do that because I don't want to go fall behind. So a typical 2600 image game, I might keep 1400 of those images, even though I've only delivered 25 to the team. Um, and yeah, sometimes I'll go back and look at them again. But honestly, most of the time I don't have time. And so you said you deliver a lot of them to the team. And then you sometimes give them just to the athletes later, kind of as a I gift. Do. Yeah, surprisingly, uh, I remember when Sean Johnson was doing gymnastics in London and I was on the same flight with her and the team and we were talking a little bit and then she went and competed and did great and I didn't get a chance to talk to her after that. I didn't see her again. And then she was in Vancouver Olympics a year and a half later doing something for NBC and I saw her and we were talking and I said, here's some photos that I have of you. Do you remember this? And somewhere like getting off the plane, somewhere here competing, and she says, oh, my God, I'd love to have those. And I said, wait, you don't have images of you competing? She says, no, where would I get them? And I realized that, you know, most of the people shooting there are media outlets like Getty or Associated Press or a newspaper. Well, they don't give images to anybody, right? You have to buy them for use. And so I said to her, I'd love to give them to you. So I emailed her 
a Dropbox link to a bunch of images of her. And I do that for the athletes. I was on a flight home from Tokyo with a bunch of medalists from Team USA. And I did the same thing. And I think it's a shame that these people compete and don't have photos of themselves because it's not like their mom and dad could be in Tokyo because they didn't even have spectators. They really had nothing. I feel so fortunate to do what I do and to do what I love that to me, it's an honor to be able to give those images to those people. Well, it's so nice of you because even if their mom and dad were there, they wouldn't have that same angle or obviously the same skill set to get those kind of images. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was also thinking about, I mean, most of us just see it as moving images, you know, TV, and that's probably what they have. You know, they have recordings of their routines or their games or their matches. And so it must be so cool for Sean Johnson to see like that shot of her doing the the flip in midair or getting off the bus. I mean, these things, she's probably like, wow, it's just really captured that that moment that all she has seen is the video. Yeah, and it's fun. Actually, there was a great story on that, too, because when I gave her those images, at the time, my nephew was in love with her. She was very cute. And <laughs> and so I texted my brother and said, I'm hanging out with Sean Johnson. And he said, you know, it's Blake's birthday today. And I said, oh, my gosh. So I said to Sean, I'll give you these images. Can you do me a favor and call my nephew and wish him a happy birthday? So Sweet. I was like uncle of the decade. <laughs> you you know, it was really funny. Yeah. So that I, I get some payment for that one. But, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Everyone wins. <laughs> it was great. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about shooting the opening and closing ceremonies? How that must differ so much from shooting the events because, you know, you're in these ginormous stadiums and right. what, where are you shooting from? And do you do zoom lenses? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big lenses there. You know, the opening ceremonies is always a, kind of a marquee thing for me because it's the start. It's the official start of the Olympics, even though, believe it or not, they actually have some competition the day of opening ceremonies. There's oh, yeah. Some happening. Yeah, sometimes even a few days before, I remember reading. They... Yeah, so we're actually shooting potentially figure skating and some things prior to. But the opening ceremonies is like kind of my kickoff. Like, okay, here we go. Get ready for three weeks of just no rest. Go, go, go. And in opening ceremonies, there's a lot of trepidation. Getting there, there's thousands of media and there's tens of thousands of spectators and tens of thousands of people who are in the show. And so it's a daunting task to get in. And that process can take about five to six hours just to get in the stadium and get in position. Wow. And we have to be there three to four hours before it starts. And it's one of the few places where we're not on the deck. So we're sitting in the stands with the public. So they have usually six to seven sections of photographers. So when I go to the U.S. Olympic Committee and say, I want to go to opening ceremonies, and they say, okay, great, we have a ticket for you. What section do you want? And I'll look and say, okay, where are the dignitaries sitting? Okay, they're sitting there. So I want to be near them because that way everybody will be facing the dignitaries. Now, security will That's be a little so higher. Smart. because of here. Yeah. yeah, and so, but it's also different. There's some people who don't want to be there. They want to be lower, so they have a different angle. And so it's kind of a risk that you take. And then like in Pyeongchang, it was minus four degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm like, where can I sit where I can also go get warm? <laughs> between yeah. The one, one great thing about Tokyo was because of social distancing, we had seats open next to us. So I could put my gear down. Normally we're crammed in and we have all our gear and we're sitting next to each other and you're trying to carry two or three cameras and your lenses and laptop. And it's like, you can barely move. And so that can be tough, but it's a great thing to shoot. We do use long lenses. It's fun because it's somewhat entertaining. You know, you're waiting for your team to come out. And of course, Summer Olympics, there's every team 
of all these different countries and that can take hours. So, you know, once I shoot the Team USA coming in, I'm just sitting there for sometimes two hours. I might go get a hot dog or do something or walk around. And if you can trust your gear, I know a lot of other photographers because we've worked the Olympics so many times. Hopefully I'm sitting next to someone I know and I can say, you go walk, I'll watch your gear. I'm gonna go walk, you watch my gear. We're really looking for our team to come in and we're looking for like the fireworks or the drone show in the case of recently where they're doing cool patterns with the drones. Those are the things we're looking for, those key moments. Then the biggest challenge is getting the heck out of there. I've had times where it's taken me five or six hours to get home because of traffic and trying to get onto a press bus that doesn't have a long line. And so you're home at four in the morning and that's really frustrating. And so I usually try to run and get on the first bus I can, but now you're running with all that equipment and you're sweating your brains out. But I, I got home by one in the morning, I was thrilled. It sounds stressful. I mean, oh, it you, is. <laughs> a it lot is. of this feels like you got to get that home so you get some sleep so you can get up so you can make sure you get to the next event in the next morning and, you know, and be focused. It's not like you're just getting to the event to go sit and cheer. I mean, this is a job where you're on. Well, yeah. And there's a lot of pressure because you have to get the shot that the team wants. You have to make sure that you're telling the story, but it's not just telling the story. It's also the team will tell me. Like we need uh, number nine. We don't have enough shots to number nine. Or this person's a sub and hasn't been in the pool or on the ice at all. If you see that person on the ice, get some shots of them. Like the backup goaltender during the gold medal game, the USA woman in water polo were dominant. And they had like a six point lead. And toward the end of the game, they pulled Ashley Johnson, who's our goaltender out and put the backup in. I knew immediately that I had to key in on that backup goaltender for minutes to wait for her to get a killer stop so I could get at least one great image for her and the team to have for the bio, for her marketing, for the website. And so I'm thinking that through. So it is a matter of staying, as you said, no pun intended, staying very focused to make sure that I'm getting what the team wants, what I want, what the athletes want, and also making sure it's in focus. I've got good backgrounds. The lighting's right. My shutter speed's right. And I'm not overshooting. Because if you hammer the shutter at 30 frames a second, now you end up with 5,000 images during that game. It's even harder to, to meet that contract. So it, it is a lot of pressure. So can we just use that as an example? So you know you need a shot of the goalie. So you're aimed down there. But there's a lot of action going on the whole rest of the pool. What if a goal is going to happen at the other end? I mean, how, how are you actually handling those minutes yeah and this is where i mean knowing the game and understanding the game is really important i play ice hockey it was very easy to predict the game because i know the game for water polo i'd never played the game so i had to learn the game so before i shot for usa water polo in london i went to high school games college games and i would have someone who really knew the game sit next to me and explain to me as i'm shooting for instance, one of the things that happens in water polo is it's not just the person with the ball, but there's people fighting for position in front of the net it's called the two meter position, and it can get bloody in there and they're scratching and clawing to get position. There's a lot of good shots in that action there. And so you have to be cognizant of that as you're shooting. And so what I do, and I shoot events here in the Bay Area, I don't just do sports. So it's no different than shooting a bar mitzvah or a wedding or what have you, you need to keep your eyes open and your head on a swivel all the time to see what's happening. If I'm shooting a personal event and grandma is sitting down and has not been on the dance floor the entire night, and then at the end of the night, grandma decides to be on the dance floor, I better get a shot of grandma on the dance floor. And the same thing holds true at the Olympics. If something's happening 
I'm trying to be aware of everything. Even though I'm focused on the pool, what's the coach doing? Is he mad at the refs for a bad call? I need to get a shot of him yelling at the refs. And in the gold medal game, the shot isn't really the action in the pool. It's the reaction of the athletes when a goal is scored. What are her teammates doing that are on the bench? They're going crazy. So I'm looking for that. Or in the case of ice hockey, they jump all over each other and go crazy. Water polo, they kind of just maybe get a fist pump, turn around and keep swimming. Each sport's different. Like I noticed in beach volleyball, every point, they go crazy. You know, they give you a lot of reaction. So it's yeah. very easy in volleyball to get a really great reaction shot, less so in water polo. But you have to be cognizant of all of that when you're shooting. And so it's just keeping your eyes open and your brain firing all the time. And it is exhausting because you have to stay mentally on, physically on for three weeks mm -hmm. all the time on lack of sleep. And almost like you need eyes all over your head, you know, like on the side of your head, looking over there and on the back of your head, looking over, you know, like it really is thinking through a lot of angles. You know, well, literally. even one of the things I'll do when I go to an event and let's say it's Team USA playing against, I don't know, Japan. Mm -hmm. When I get to the event, I'm looking at the fans. Okay, who's wearing lots? Of, well, of course, this didn't happen because there were no fans in Tokyo, which means we lost a lot of really good photographic opportunity. But what I'm doing is I'm looking around in a normal Olympics and I'm looking for the people that have the American flags or the face painted with Team USA oh, yeah. or Go Team USA or, you know, family members. And I know where they're sitting. So when I shoot, let's say someone's scoring a goal, I'll follow up with good reaction from the athlete and then quickly turn around to where I know people are sitting and I want to get reaction shots of them. Yeah. I remember Ali Raisman's parents became sort of superstars for their reactions to her routines. They were so nervous always. They wouldn't even like, look, right? Yeah, they couldn't even look. So that yeah. was part of the story was their involvement in their daughter's gymnastics routines. Well, and, and I think, you know, it's also, it personalizes the story that her parents are there, their friends are there. And it was one of the things that really was a letdown for Tokyo and it will be as well in Beijing. I'm friends with a lot of the athletes and their families after doing this for so long to so not have them there and to not have a team party with the families and stuff. It definitely lost some of the personality of the Olympics. You mentioned that prior to shooting water polo, you didn't know the sport well, so you educated yourself about it, but you must show up at some events that you're not an expert on. So is it difficult to shoot them? It's a little bit more difficult. Like I, I remember shooting like judo or wrestling and I don't know, you know when they score a point and when they don't. And so I'm just shooting, looking for great action, great expressions. And, you know, if I'm shooting boxing, I want blood, you know, I want good stuff like that. And I show up and I'm just looking for, how can I get a great image? How can I push the envelope? Like I shot a shot at fencing and it's a multi-exposure shot, probably my favorite shot from Tokyo. And it was literally firing off four shots on top of each other to get really cool motion in the athletes. And I went there knowing that I don't know the sport very well, but I knew how it was lit. I've shot it before in Rio and I knew how I wanted to shoot it with this multi-exposure mode. And so I went there with a goal in mind, just like I went to that equestrian and shot everything at 20th of a second. I knew I wanted to motion pan that and create something artistic. So I'll go there with that in mind, but don't know the sport as well as I probably should. It would make life easier. We at home see a lot more of the, of the events than you do there. You know, when you're watching television at home, you guys see way more of the Olympics than I ever see. I'm lucky to see two events or three events a day, tops. But what are some of the things that you see that we don't see? 
Oh, there's lots. I mean, <laughs> you know, there are things like when Simone Biles was supposed to do the balance beam in the team's competition, and then she stopped. And we didn't know why she stopped, but I was standing two feet from her and listening to them joking around. And I could tell she wasn't hurt. So I was like, why is she not going? Her name was on the board. She was still in her warm-up suit. I'm like, she's not going. So we were confused, but we heard them talking and I could hear what they're saying and they're joking around. And we forget that these girls are young girls, they're teenagers. And they sounded like teenagers. They were making fun of certain people or you know, commenting on what someone was wearing. Those are the things that most people don't hear. And I've been in situations where, like for instance, they banned all alcohol drinking in Tokyo because you know, they didn't want someone getting drunk and then having some COVID spread. But when the woman won gold after the water polo match was over, I said to the team, we should get portraits of all the, the women with their gold medals. We've never done that at previous Olympics. So I was on the pool deck. This is now you know, a good hour and a half after the game is over. And the medical team shows up with their ice chest you know, generally it's for icing down, you know, all their wounds. Well, it was all margaritas and stuff. So, and tequila oh. shots. So obviously it was not on television and we didn't publicize it too much, yeah. but we had a big old party and it was a blast. So there was the fun part like that, where you get to experience it almost like the athlete. And they did a team picture and said, Jeff, you're in the shot. So get someone else to take the picture because you're part of the team. And those are the moments where it just warms my heart that these people treat me like that. I remember being in uh, Pyeongchang and Korea and the woman from USA hockey won gold medal and it was a big deal they beat the Canadians they don't allow photographers on the ice typically you have to shoot from behind the plexi but as a team photographer I was allowed on the ice to shoot the gold medal celebration and I was on the ice with them for probably an hour I mean they were ready to turn the lights out in the venue and they were still celebrating and Hillary Knight who's one of the athletes I said, Hillary, I go, hey, can I borrow your gold medal? I want to get a picture with it. And she's like, yeah. So she skated over and she put gold medal on my neck and I got a picture. Well, I didn't realize that there would be security. Every time there's, you know, handing out gold medals, there's security there to make sure that no one takes that medal. So this guy comes over to me and he, I can't repeat what he said uh, on your podcast because it's not, he yelled at me, like, get that blanking blank, you know, medal off. And I was like freaking out. Luckily, we'd already gotten the picture. And Hillary skated back over and he's yelling at me. And she's like, no, 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 no. He's I gave our it to photographer. Him. Yeah. yeah, I gave it to him. He's our team photographer. And then he came over to me after he said, I apologize. I'm so sorry. I thought you were just like a normal photographer. And I said, I am a normal photographer. I just happen to be <laughs> their photographer. But it's fun to go to the team parties when they win. And you know, a lot of times the teams will say to me, don't take pictures. Just enjoy it with us, which oh. is really special. Yeah, those are the things that make it fun or even more fun than being there. How about the times that an athlete doesn't succeed? I mean, to just qualify for the Olympics is such an incredible accomplishment. Right. And have you seen somebody, especially if there's high expectations for them and they don't get to that round or they don't sure. medal when they're expected to, have you ever had to sort of take a photo or kind of be in their face and it gets really awkward? Well, you do. You go for the, you know, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, right? Yeah. You, you do have to photograph that. And yes, I've done that where, you know, either a particular athlete or a team fails to medal. And sure, there's frustration, there's sadness, tears sometimes. But that's still, as a job of a photographer, we have to tell a story and that's part of that story. I will say, going back to what we just talked about with uh, women's ice hockey, in Sochi, in Russia, the woman 
from Team USA were up by a goal with like a couple minutes left. Ira is already changing lenses to go on the ice to shoot the gold medal celebration. And Canada pulled their goalie and scored a goal to tie it. They went to overtime and then Canada won. And I can tell you that that was like watching someone die. Because if you win a bronze medal, you're in a bronze medal match, you either win a medal or you don't. So you're thrilled to win a bronze. When you're in a gold medal game, you either win a gold or you lose a gold. No one says, I won a silver, right? We've you always lost said a gold. that and... at home. It almost seems better to win a bronze than to get a silver. Because it always seems like sometimes, you're losing the gold. Or it depends well, on, let the, me tell on you, the sport. After that game, I'm in the press room sometimes for three, four hours working on images for the team, especially for a gold medal game. So I left the arena probably around one in the morning. I walked outside and all the, the women from USA Hockey were outside crying with their families still. And this was three, four hours after the game. And it literally, it was like there had been a death in the family. And I did not photograph that because it was a personal moment. Anyway, it was too dark. I didn't want to do it. Plus, I don't think they would have appreciated that. But the team party was the next day celebrating their silver medal. There were a couple of the ladies who would not even speak. There was one person who didn't show up to the party. It was really devastating that they didn't win that gold. There were some that were fine with it. And as I told them, you know, you're lucky to win a silver medal. It's an amazing accomplishment, but they lost a gold. I did take some photographs there, but I didn't photograph the girls who were distraught. I just felt like that was their own moment. There's an invasion of privacy. And even though I know them and they know that I have their best interest in mind when I'm taking those photos, you have to figure out that line. And sometimes that line does get crossed, I, hopefully not by me, but I've seen it where, you know, you get the photographer who jumps in on a shot. I'm trying to get a gold medal shot of the team. They know to look at me because I'm their photographer. You know, I'll get them lined up in the way I want them. I'll get ready to take a picture and somebody from another country will elbow his way in in front of me. And then you have to get aggressive and say, like yell at them, get, get out of my shot. So there's some of that, but I mean, I try not to invade anybody's privacy and, and I try to keep it as positive as I can. In general, is it a pretty collegial atmosphere there among the press corps? Very. Yeah, I mean, we all work together. I mean, yes, there are some, you know, like any group of people, you're going to have some individuals who don't want to play by the rules or, but no, it's really, it's great. I mean, we try to help each other out. I try to do that because again, we're stuck with the same people for three weeks every two years. Might as well become friends with them. I've seen photographers get kicked out of the Olympics. We had a woman, uh, I believe she was from the UK. We were shooting bobsled in Russia. And we were all using wide angle lenses because it was where they jump into the bobsled at the beginning as they're running and then oh, getting yeah. into the bobsled. Oh, that's a really exciting. Well, it's, a, that's a, it's really exciting, but it's a wide angle shot. So everybody's lined up along that little slope of the ice as they're running. Well, one woman went ahead of everybody, even though we'd all been there for hours waiting for it to start. She went ahead of everybody to shoot and she was in everybody's photos. Everybody said, hey, get out of there. And she wouldn't move. And the venue manager said, is this your team that's going to be the next bobsled? And she said, yes. He said, fine, I'll let you shoot this one run up and then you're out of here. Well, she did the run up and then she kept shooting. And they went over to her and he took her credentials, ripped them off her neck. And that was it. They sent her home. You know, they're very strict about it because you have 2,200 photographers and you have another 3,000 writers or whatever it might be. You have a lot of press there. You can't be lenient. And if someone breaks the rules... They have to be strict about it. Like we're not allowed to ask for autographs. Yeah. So there's protocol the that we have to live. Yeah. And don't be selfish. Yeah. We're all selfish in a way. Like, you know, when I want to get my shot and I have that position by the pool, I'm not giving that up for anybody. Right. There's a little bit of that where you're, you know, looking for the best angle or the best position and you have to kind of 
be a little selfish, that does happen. It's just you try to be nice about it. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of the woman, the British woman in front of everybody at the expense of everybody else. It's different than you going early and finding your spot. True. I mean, look, we've all gotten everybody else's shot. I did this at BMX in, I think it was London or Rio. I used a wide angle lens and I put it out in front of me to get a cool wide angle shot. And I put my camera right into someone else's shot. And the guy was from Russia and he started yelling at me in Russian. And I just looked at him like, I'm so, so sorry. Like, you know, I'm sorry. And I was careful not to get in the shot next time. We all make mistakes and we all bash into each other. And honestly, after two and a half weeks of being at the Olympics, you see the wear and tear on everybody. And nerves get a little bit frayed at times. It happens. Sure. You know, everybody's on lack of sleep and eating the same crappy food for three weeks. And they're ready to go home. Yeah. yeah, by the end, you're really ready to wrap it up. Um, yes, because it's just exhausting, you know, going at that pace the whole time. And at the same time, sometimes it's sad because the Olympics are over. Now I've done so many of them. It's kind of like oh, another one in the books. And it feels cool to know that I survived it and did it well. I'm much pickier about my images than I was when I first shot. You know, now I'll come home and go, oh, I don't know if I got anything good. It's harder to best myself every time. Before we wrap up, can you just reiterate for me how you became the Team USA photographer? So I was in Beijing in 2008. I was not shooting for Team USA. I was there partially credentialed, not even fully credentialed. And I got a chance to shoot some limited events. And I came home from that and I said, I have got to do this. I want to become an Olympic photographer. I saw what the other photographers were shooting and just thought, like, God, that just looks amazing. And so I came home and I worked like tirelessly trying to find an in. How would I get to Vancouver to shoot the Winter Olympics? And everywhere I turned, I hit a no. I tried different newspapers, different magazines. I thought, oh, I'll become a team photographer thinking they had them. Like each sport would have their own photographer. Well, they don't. I called USA Hockey because I thought I play hockey and I love the sport. And I offered to shoot for free and didn't even get a return phone call because they're probably thinking this guy's a lunatic. Um, (laughs) So Eventually, but I was, I did some a lot of work with the San Jose Sharks, and I knew all the top people, the Sharks, the president, CEO, and others. And I said, do you know people at USA Hockey? They said, of course. So they put the good word in for me with the right person there, and then that opened the conversation. And then they said, we're willing to, to work with you. Let's give it a try. And I did it for free and proved myself. And it, remember, it costs like 10 grand to go to the Olympics, so it's not an easy decision. And then for my first summer Olympics shooting for Team USA, at that point, I got to know the people at the USOC and they had connected me up with USA Water Polo. And they were like, we'd love to work with you. I told them, don't worry, I'll learn the sport. You know, we had a couple of years before the games and I shot that almost for free as well for them to prove myself. And again, this is all part of that, you know, working myself into the system. And now, you know, I've been doing this, this will be my eighth Olympics. So they, they now consider me part of the family for Team USA, which is, again, a huge honor. And it makes my life somewhat easier because I know that when I ask for credentials, I'll get them. And so it was just that kind of process of putting myself out there, using my contacts and willing to prove myself. It's great that you had this desire and this dream and you made it happen. Like you didn't just say, oh, that looks fun. You worked the angles, you put in the hard work, you... You did it. Like that's... Yeah, and I, and I treat every Olympics like it's my one and only. I remember going to my first Olympics for Team USA. That was in Vancouver. And I really was like pinching myself. Like, I can't believe I'm here and I'm shooting this. This is just incredible. 
And then I went to my next Olympics in London and I did the same thing and I still today do the same thing. I'm so lucky to be there. I don't take it for granted. Every week I get an email. How did you get to the Olympics? How do I do that? I wanna do that. And I know that the odds of that happening for most people are really slim. And so I do feel really, really fortunate. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, there's a little bit of luck involved, but what a great thing. It's just a huge honor. And I, I'm capturing his, history for these athletes and for these teams that those live on forever. It's great that you're doing it and it's great that you appreciate it so much. Yeah, you don't take it for granted and you enjoy what you're doing. It's hard work and you appreciate it. Yeah, it's hard, but like to do something you love is, I, again, like I, I just feel so lucky. It's work and it is a ton of work, but when you love what you do, it's not really work. Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been really interesting and inspiring. And I look forward to the next Olympics and seeing more of your images. You're so welcome. Most of us can't attend the Olympics, but I think we can all relate to parts of Jeff's journey. Here are my takeaways from our conversation. Number one, arrive early with a plan. This can be especially helpful if you need to do something like find clean plexi to shoot through during a hockey game. Two, treat other people with respect and play by the rules, just because. But also, what comes around goes around. Three, make good use of your time. Whether it's six seconds at the end of a game or 20 minutes on a shuttle bus between venues, a lot can get done when you commit to being efficient. Four, Keep your eyes open and your head on a swivel. Sometimes the most interesting thing to see isn't the action, but other people's reactions. And finally, number five. If you have a dream, go for it. Put yourself out there, work for it. Even Olympic-sized dreams can come true with a lot of effort. I'm inspired by Jeff's story, and I'm grateful to him for taking the time to share his experiences with me. If you want to see some of his incredible photographs, including the ones he mentioned in the interview of the fencers and the equestrians, go to his website, jeffcable.com, and click on the blog link. Please check out our website, theexperiencepodcast.net, to explore other episodes, sign up for our insiders list and newsletter, and find out how to follow us on social media. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It helps others discover us. I'm Elizabeth Pearson Gar. Thanks for joining in the experience.